this person was tall. Uh, this is the part they pay me extra to do. So, uh, welcome to the uh, in-town part of the North River Church. We are about 75 to 100 people, uh, young married, singles, older singles like myself, uh, and a whole host of other people, people with babies. Um, you know, we've got all kinds of people here. And uh, welcome, seriously. Uh, it is a pleasure to have you if you are visiting for the first time or for the 25th time. Uh, we are grateful that you're here with us to share in the worshiping of God, uh, in the fellowship together. I have the uh, distinct pleasure to introduce Bob Keene to you, our speaker today. He is the, uh, a elder at the North River Church, a uh, group of about a thousand disciples of Jesus who meet about 30 minutes from here on a regular basis. Uh, Bob's mission for the last probably year, year or two, has been to bring together uh, th- even with the unity of Jesus, there's been, you know, just different things can divide us, right? Racial things, financial things, cultural things. And so Bob has really been, uh, had it on his heart to bring different people together, different cultures together to love people better and deeper in Jesus. And also uh, his other passion is shepherding the church in a way that allows us to mature as a body, because so many things could be details, 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 and it's, it's, I'm grateful that we have people like Bob to look at the big picture and say, are we moving this way or that way, right? Because we get lost in the minutia and just the day-to-day, you know, uh, of, of sometimes just uh, running a church, being in a church, right? And all the little things that have to get done. So, super grateful that he takes time out to come down here and, and speak to us. Um, we're grateful to... Uh, just to hear from him today. Thank you for everybody who brought food, who prepared food, and who is eating food. And uh, I, guess, I guess we're ready for you, if you're ready. All right, thanks. It's great to be with you guys. I haven't been down here since, uh, I think the last time I was down with you guys on a Sunday, you were meeting Georgia Tech you know, in the classroom, in one of those alpine-type classrooms, and those hard seats that you can last about 15 minutes in before you start getting uncomfortable. So uh, this is really cool digs right here. I like this place. So um, I'm going to go upstairs and have some potluck afterwards until I get too hot. But anyway, it's good to be with you. I I understand that you guys have been talking about glory, the glory of God, and... um, that that's going to be a theme for you guys. So please be turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to be coming out of that. And um, Paul with Corinthians. Corinthians was kind of, uh, it was like many churches. They just had a few issues. And uh, Paul seemed like he was always trying to justify himself with them because they didn't quite uh, recognize the apostle that he was. And he... In, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he's gotten past a lot of that, but he's talking about the difference between the ministry that we have in Christ compared to the Old Testament ministry and how much more glorious it is than what you see in the Old Testament. And so if you really want to think about God's glory and see it in the context of the New Testament and our ministry, then I suggest that you read 2 Corinthians 3, 4, and 5 on your own, and you'll see how this plays out. We're going to skip through it. In uh, chapter 3, verse 1, he's talking about, are we commending ourselves to you? The fact that you're Christians is enough to prove that we know what we're doing. That's effectively what he said. That's my uh, 
very loose interpretation. But he says, he's talking about the new covenant, how much more glorious it is than the old covenant. And down in verse 18 of chapter 3, he says something. He says, uh, let's start in 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That's going to be my third point. I'm actually doing these in reverse. That's going to be my third point, which is God's glory reflected in us. Then it goes down to chapter 4, and he talks about the, the gospel. And um, in verse 1 through 2, he's talking about how honestly they've presented the gospel to the brothers and sisters in Corinth, and then in uh, verses 3 through 6, he says, But if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And that's going to be my second point, which is God's glory is reflected in Christ. And then my first point is going to be God's glory. And if you go down to chapter 4, uh, let's just go down to 4.15 through 18. Um, Indeed, everything is for your benefit, so the grace extended through more and more people may cause thanksgiving to increase God's glory. Therefore, we do not give up, even though our outer person being, is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our light momentary Affliction is producing for us an absolute, incomparable, eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So you have God's glory, you have Jesus' glory, and then you have God's glory reflected in us. And I understand that you talked about um, God's glory on Wednesday and kind of the aspects of the awe-inspiring nature of God's glory. That Pretty much, it means beauty, splendor, majesty, incomparable worth. Uh, just, we can't, we don't have the words to describe it. We can see it. You know, remember when you saw the eclipse, the glasses they gave you? Okay, and it, you could hardly see anything, but you could see the eclipse. That's what it's like for us to try and see God's glory. We're wearing eclipse glasses of sin that keep us from really being able to see God's glory. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, it says God lives in unapproachable light. That His glory, we can't even get close to it. I think we would just burn to a crisp. But what we can see is, we, whenever a heavenly being is reported in the New Testament as coming to earth, an angel or, or a representative, every person that meets them, what do they do? Flat on their face. Immediately, they ask for, they beg, please do not kill me. Please. They're so overwhelmed with how the presentation of the glory of God, it's really just a, a slight reflection of God's glory in whoever the representative is. And you see that over and over again that the Bible is trying to use words that are very limited to describe this incredible thing. 
You see the imagery that you see in Ezekiel, and you see it in um, Daniel, and you see it in Revelations, where they're talking about streets of gold, and they're talking about uh, shining lights, and they're talking about all kinds of things. It's beyond our ability to really comprehend. That is God's glory. That's, it's basically the essence of his being is glorious. That's who he is. It's his, how he manifests himself. The Bible does tell us that, you know, we can see it a little bit. The heavens declare the glory of God, Psalm 19. So we can see it a little bit. But the Bible then goes on to describe other aspects of God's character with, when you think about them, really reflect God's glory even more. The Bible tells us that God is transcendent. That means he is separate and apart from his creation. He's separate, he's holy, he's not one with his creation. Modern religions sometimes say that he's one, that's pantheism, that's a false doctrine. God is independent, meaning he doesn't need us or the rest of creation to exist. He exists in and of himself, with or without us. He doesn't need us. God is imminent. These are all scriptural doctrines, meaning he is near to each one of us. God did not create the universe and walk off. That's deism. That was very popular in the late 1800s. God is omnipresent. That means he is everywhere fully and completely in all of creation. He's, he has a presence there. It's not like he's got a pinky with us and he's got a foot with the people over there and you know, he is fully here with us. That's God being omnipresent. God is omnipotent. That means he is all-powerful. There's nothing he's not capable of. I mean, you know, if you, if you cause the Big Bang, that's pretty much, there's nothing else, you know. I mean, that's pretty big. God is omniscient. These are all the omnis. God is omniscient means he knows everything, including our actions and thoughts. So if you're thinking, who is this guy up here? God knows what you're thinking right now. God is eternal. It means he's timeless with no beginning, no end. We have a hard time thinking that because we think of time as something that just exists. But time, physicists know time was created at the same time the universe was created. It's a created thing. He is apart from that. There's no beginning, no end. So he sees time all as one manifestation. God is unchanging. He doesn't, when he says this is the way it's going to be, that is the way it's going to be. God is spiritual. It means he's not material and he's invisible. God is spirit. Whoever walks, you know, uh, worships him must worship in spirit and truth. God is triune, which means he's him and he's Jesus and he's Holy Spirit. And lastly, God is personal, but he's not human. The Bible tells us that God is all-wise. He's infinite, eternal, and chainless. But we shouldn't think of him as, as an impersonal force like Star Wars. He has all the aspects of personality, intellect, feelings, and will. God created us in his image. And his image is personality. It's that sense. Now, tell me, is that a God who's glorious? Think about what all those things mean. It's so far beyond our ability to comprehend as we're sitting here on, what, a few square feet of earth and thinking about omnipotent and omniscient and all these other things. God is incredible. 
And we see that, you know, we sense that when you go out and you go to the ocean, you go look at the mountains, I mean, you have a sense of it if you're open to it, if you're receptive to it. Some people are not. The Bible says right here in the scripture we read that the God of this age has blinded the minds of some unbelievers so they can't see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. They can't see that glory. Because they don't start with humility. The start to see God's glory is humility. Putting God in His rightful place and recognizing where we are. And that is not modern man's deal. Humility is not our deal. In Romans chapter 1, it talks about, I'm not going to go there because I realize I'm probably going to run out of time really quickly here. Um... Okay, where was I? Uh, Anyway, Romans chapter 1. So, it says, God's eternal qualities and His divine nature have been clearly seen from what has been made. So men are without excuse, but they gave themselves over. They were prideful. They created God in their own image, in the images of created things. And so they worship a God who is uh, like a cosmic cop. Or, you know, keeps them from doing wrong, kind of cosmic conscious. Or they, a God that gives them their goodies that they want. It's a very limited God. It's a prosperity God. There's all sorts of ways that people nowadays do not see God for what He truly is in all of His glory because they want to have God, a God that they can control within their little box and doesn't really demand too much out of their life. And that's not the real God. That's a created God. And the other part of modern man's problem is, is we are just so full of pride and we tend to concentrate on all we know instead of what we don't know. We put a lot of stock in what we think we know and we really don't know what we don't know. I'm reading a book called The 4% Universe right now. And um, it's about dark matter and dark energy. And so, here we are, man, modern science is working on the theory of everything, okay? This is the grand unification theory, where they're going to be able to combine combine Einstein's theory of relativity with uh, the um, uncertainty principle, whatever it is, I can't remember right now. But anyway, this very small theory, they're going to have this grand unification theory, and it's going to be the theory of everything, explain everything in physics. And yet... There's only 4% of the whole entire universe that we interact with. Mathematically, we know that 96% of it is called dark matter, dark energy. We really don't know what it is. We know it's there, but we don't have anything to do with it. So on 4% of the universe, we're going to have a theory of everything. We don't know what we don't know. We really don't know what we don't know. And then, think about the scope of the universe. We sent the Voyager 1 out a while ago. It's gone outside the solar system. It's on its way to a near star. It's going to take 40,000 years for it to reach that star. I think we're going to be gone. There's billions of stars in our galaxy alone. There's billions of galaxies. And we keep discovering them. Just last week, a couple weeks ago, there was a, uh, in the news, it said they, the Hubble telescope discovered a bunch of new galaxies that we didn't know about. We don't know what we don't know. 
our planet, you know the deepest we've dug into our earth is 40,000 feet. Seven and a half miles. The mantle alone is 1,800 miles deep. So we've dug one half of 1% of the mantle. The distance to the center of the earth is 4,000 miles. So we've, had, we've gone less than uh, two one-hundredths of a percent into the earth. But we're going to have the theory of everything. And we don't know what we don't know. Our, our oceans, our scientists estimate we explored only 5% of our oceans. The scope of time that we have been on this earth, for all of our knowledge, most of our scientific knowledge has been in the last 150 years. I mean, there's basic principles were discovered, but it was very slow developing. The last 150 years has been this explosion of scientific knowledge. 150 years. That's where we've come up with, you know, uh, equal MC squared, speed of light. Um, actually, you know what's interesting is, a hundred years ago, people didn't believe the Bible because they said you couldn't create something out of nothing. And then now in our modern science, we know, yes, you can. That the entire work, universe is congealed energy, which just, boom, existed, came into existence in the, you know, the Big Bang. They didn't think that time would ever change. Now we know that time is a created thing. Last 150 years. You know what? The universe is 13.8 billion years old. And in 150 years, we're going to come up with the theory of everything. The limitation of our senses. You are able to see less than four one-hundredths percent of the electromagnetic spectrum. That's all of the visible radiation and the ability that the electromagnetic spectrum includes visible light. Well, there's a whole lot more radio waves, microwaves. You can't see any of that. So you see a very, very small portion in your eyes. Your hearing is limited beyond most animals. Most animals can hear much better than you. So you only hear a really little bit. Your, uh, your taste is extremely limited. Your smell is very limited. Your touch and ability to process things through your touch is very limited. Most of our brain construction comes about from those five senses, and we're extremely limited in that. So as you're developing, the way you think nowadays has been shaped by what's come through your five senses, and it's extremely limited compared to all the data that's available out there, you're extremely limited. So you're going to come up with an understanding of the entire universe. You also have a limited capacity for knowing. We've gotten so much data now that we're involved in hyper-specialization. So people will learn some, a whole lot about one little area because they can't possibly know all the other stuff there. Do you get, this, get the idea that we ought to be humble? We ought to be humble before God. We ought to recognize that, you know, just a little, 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 little thing in the majesty and complexity and awesome nature of God and His glory. You know, we don't know what we don't know. I remember um, my son when he was younger and we were up in, uh, driving up in the mountains and we had a flat tire and we were on some dirt road back in the country somewhere. I mean, it was Banjo City, you know, kind of country. And so uh, he jumped out and he, and he pushed me away and said, I got this. Like, he's going to fix the tire. I got this. Now, I admired his confidence. That was awesome. But it was uh, confidence not, you know, based on knowledge. And so I, I crossed my arms. Okay, go ahead. 
What do I do? Oh, you don't know. Okay. So we did that, you know, and I helped him to understand that, you know, a little humility goes a long way to really learning how to grow and how to do things. And that's what we need is a lot more humility when it comes to the image of God, and then we will begin to see him. The glory of God should inspire our faith. All those things I talked about, about God, doesn't that inspire you? Doesn't that lift you up thinking about how awesome he is? This is a God who reached down into our world to save us. The maker and creator of the entire universe, whose presence is here, who loves you, and who gave his son. That God. Remember when you were little and you, know, you had the argument with your friends about whose daddy could beat up who daddy? Our daddy can beat up any daddy. Our daddy is the big daddy. He is the one. That should give us confidence in our faith. It should give us security in his love. It should give us hope and a vision for what we're a part of that's beyond the day-to-day. It should help us see the transcendent nature of God. So then, God's glory is reflected in Jesus. That was in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, where it says, this is the second point, in their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Colossians chapter 1 and Hebrews chapter 1 both tell us that Jesus is the exact representation of God's being. He is the image of God. Now, obviously, that can't mean that he's all of the omnis right then and there because he's somewhat limited because he became a man. He does have all the power. You know, he, uh, the miracles that he did, all, the, all that was at his uh, fingertips. But he allowed himself to be limited somewhat so that he could be within a man. And what Jesus emphasized in his glory was not this awesome power. I mean, it was almost like he did the miracles Kind of like an afterthought. He said, they, you know, they're for your benefit so that you'll understand. That's what the Gospel of John tells us. So that you can believe. But, you know, he turned water into wine. He kind of, the only people that knew were the servants. He wasn't making a big show of it. The important thing was his character. The glory of Christ that shone forth was the character of Christ. The way he loved. The way he served. He was truthful and honest in the face of potential death. He never lied. He was goodness. He was merciful. He was graceful. He was loving. He was compassionate. He touched the leper when nobody would, would, would touch him. Can you imagine what that meant to the leper? To be touched when nobody would ever touch him. He was holy. He was righteous. He was forgiving. The more I know, the older I am as a Christian, the longer I've been in Christ, the more I'm in awe of Him instead of the less I'm in awe of Him. Most people, when you get to know them, the shine comes off after a few weeks. You just, you know, and then you start having to dealing with some of the weaknesses. I mean, married people know this, you know. That shining knight on the white horse, you know, falls off a few times. You realize, okay, didn't know this. So, yet the people who were around Jesus 
people that followed him, they never lost. In fact, they became more and more in awe of him the longer they were around him, the more he revealed himself to them. And then they died for him because they saw no flaw in his perfection. He was righteous in every way. He was perfect. That's the image of God. God becoming a man, he's telling us, this is how I intended you to be. This is what I meant when I created man in the image of God. This is what I wanted you to be. The first Adam failed. The second Adam, who's Jesus, did not. And he is our shining light. And that is his glory, a glory that draws us towards God and draws us to become like him. Isn't that incredible? That is Jesus. I was, uh, you guys are all going to think I'm really weird because I'm going to tell you about a dream I had. Um, I was going through a real stressful period one time. It was about a year. It was really just very, very difficult. I actually, I was salt and pepper at the start of the year and I went completely silver by the end of the year. That tells you what kind of year it was. And um, I was having uh, struggles with sleeping uh, and had just under a lot of stress all the time. And one night, I had this dream. And I was in a taxi in New York in the back seat. There were two guys in the front seat, which is not unusual. I've had a lot of interesting experiences in taxis in New York. So uh, I, I've, I thought I was headed towards a nightmare. You know, it's, I've had some tough times in taxis. But anyway, so this guy who's in the passenger side starts talking to me. As I'm talking to him, I'm thinking, this guy's really smart. And then he keeps talking to me. I'm going, wow, this guy is really smart. And he keeps talking, and I think, not only is he smart, he's wise. This guy has great insight. This is incredible. And then suddenly it dawned on me, this guy is Jesus. <laughs> and so immediately I got really scared. I thought, oh, no, this is Jesus. Kind of like Peter when, he, when they hauled in the net with all the fish, and he fell on his knees. Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. I felt like, oh, man, he knows everything I've ever thought. I'm, I'm, the jig is up. And then he starts talking inside my brain and says, I know, I've been here all along. And this is how I feel about you. And then I had this incredible, overwhelming sense of love and acceptance and appreciation and worth. I can't, it's kind of like the glory of God. There's no way I could describe it to you guys. Bang, then I woke up. I mean, it's like I wanted that dream to go on forever and ever. And it just, bang, I woke up. And I flew out of bed. I was like, whoa, you know, it's incredible. Had to wake my wife up. I, said, I, I got it. She didn't like that, but hey, I had to tell somebody to make sure that I did not forget this dream. And what it helped me realize is that's kind of the way it is with God and Jesus, you know, that the sense of glory of that love and that compassion and that forgiveness, the forgiveness that a man who's dying on a cross and looks out at the people who are crucifying them, him and says, Lord, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing, that kind of forgiveness is the glory that God is showing us that is his nature and his capacity to forgive us. And we will be swimming in glory in a sea of acceptance and love. That to me is just cool and overwhelming. 
Lastly, God's glory is reflected in us. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. Everybody's real quiet. Do you guys do amens or something? I just... <laughs> 2 Corinthians 3, verses 18. We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed in the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. When we became Christians, God gave us His Spirit. He forgave us and gave us His indwelling Spirit. And through that Spirit, as we focus on Christ, we are being transformed. And God's glory is being manifest through us to people in the world as they see that in us. God is allowing some of His glory to flow through you into the world as you touch other people, as you care for other people. As the more and more as you exhibit the qualities of Christ in your life, people begin to see that you really are a follower of God. And they're drawn to God through that reflected glory. That is amazing. That God, God allows you, even now, to participate in that glory. And then there's an eternal glory that far surpasses everything that we're going to be part of all that. We're actually, no longer will it be unapproachable light for us. It will be approachable and we'll be in the light fully and completely. But meanwhile, right now, we can, I guess maybe we're kind of like a, a polished piece of metal. Like there's a little bit of light shining off us. But as we polish that metal more and more, people are drawn to God as they see God, you channeling glory through us. Doesn't that make you feel honored? Doesn't that humble you? It humbles me to know that God would use me that way as I strive to serve Him. What a great responsibility. What do I do with that? Well, you go in through the rest of chapter 5 and you see that then Paul talks about being ministers of reconciliation. We weren't given that reflected glory to just walk around and be a light bulb. We were to be with people. We were to share with people. We were helped draw them towards God's glory. They're drawn to us, to God through us. They're drawn to Jesus as they read the Bible. And they're in awe of the awesome God that's revealed in the Bible. And they humbly commit themselves to God. God uses us in that way. And so, when you think about God's glory, think about it being reflected for you with a purpose. To seek and save, to mature other brothers and sisters, and to seek and save the lost so that they can share in God's glory as well. That's what we're all about. So when we take communion, think about that. Think about Jesus and the glory of God that was revealed in Him and how He gave Himself for us so that we could in turn reflect that glory to other people. Let's pray. Father in heaven, these concepts are so mind-stretching and mind-boggling, but we know that it's awesome, and we're so grateful that you have given us this opportunity to share in your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.